Australian Jamie Dury is a horticulturalist and international award-winning landscape designer and a successful television host and producer. He's the author of nine best-selling books and the founder and editorial director of the Outdoor Room magazine. He's a committed environmentalist and pioneer of the outdoor room concept, and he has changed the face of landscape design, inspiring a whole new generation to rediscover their garden. And he's joining me today on Amy's Table to talk about his latest book, Jamie Dury's The Outdoor Room. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Hey, Amy. How are you? Good. Well, what a beautiful book. I just... I. Just page through it and think, wow, I want that. No, I want that. No, I want that. But Fantastic. What are some tips that you might have for us to make the most of what we've got right now if we can't do one of these amazing renovations? Well, I think, you know, um, first and foremost, you, you, you really have to treat your, your outdoor space as an extension of your living room, um, you know, as an extension of your lounge room even. Um, and and try to think of think of it as as a, a, a very private sanctuary. Start at the boundaries and work your way in. And if you start investing in in just claiming back that that privacy and uh, and and building green walls around you in the form of living breathing plants, because there's a plant out there to, to provide every single shape and texture you can imagine. You you basically start from the outside and you work your way back in. And, and you can stage the project um, and, you know, build destinations within the garden like dining rooms and living rooms and even outdoor kitchens so that you really feel like you've got a space that's um, conducive to outdoor living. And, you know, I do love the idea of sort of zoning your backyard, your outdoor spaces to things like the living, the dining, the play area, maybe the relaxing area, and using the green walls that you talked about. What kind of plants do you think work best, say, in a Midwestern climate to be able to create that privacy in those zones? Well, you know, I think... um Obviously, you've got to make sure that you know you use varieties that are frost tolerant, um, and mix those with deciduous varieties. So, you know, any of the conifers and so forth are going to give you reliable screening. Um, and then, when you start to mix those with deciduous trees, you're going to allow some of that winter sun to come through when the when the when the deciduous trees lose their leaves. So it's really you know I always focus on on you know creating good diversity in the garden. So that you, you're always um, being surprised with new foliage, you know, um, fall colour, um, different flowering times, and and reliable screening, you know, with with coniferous plants that can get you through the winter. Um, and without losing their leaves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, I do. Well, you know, it's funny when you talk about a variety of color, and so many times when you say color in the yard, people think that has to mean a petunia. And yet, you know, you can get so much beauty with the different greens and the different, you know, colors that are non-flowering plants. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. You know, I, um, I mean, I'm always focusing on on choosing plants that have foliage color contrast rather than just waiting for the flower to come each year. Um, you know, uh, some, of, some of the begonias have, have um, some of the most fantastic foliage colour. Heuchera has an amazing burgundy. Uh, there's a variety called chocolate ruffles, which is just beautiful. Um, some of the Ace of Palmatums, there's a variety of Japanese maple called Bloodgood, which has this deep red foliage that, you know, when the sunlight comes through it, it just paints red all through the garden. It, it, you know, you can really do a lot just with foliage colour. And I think that's, 
that's one of the most exciting things about gardening. You know, you can really paint your, your landscape, you know, just based on reliable foliage color. Yeah, I love that. I also love messing around with ornamental grasses. I think those do so mm. much, too. And look, I love how they look when they're dried. Are we supposed to cut those down, or can we use them dried throughout the year in our landscape? Yeah, well, look, uh, you know, here in California, um, we don't cut a lot back. Um, but certainly in, in some of the Midwest areas and, and the cooler climates, yes, cut your ornamental grasses back and, uh, and let them sprout back. One of my favorites is... Um, the Miscanthus zebrina, which has that, that kind of striped foliage. Do you know the one? Oh, I do. It's like green and white striped. I yeah. love that one. I love yeah. that one. Yeah, it's a fabulous grass, you know. And, uh, and, and, but there's some great stuff out there. There's, um, there's, there's Japanese blood grass, which, you know, has that, that kind of red tip to it uh, called imperdia. Um, you know, there's, there's, some, there's, there's some fabulous grasses out there. And the great thing about using ornamental grasses you don't have to continuously clip them into the shape of poodles each week. <laughs> <laughs> I do you know like I mean? that. You can, you yeah. can just grow them for the, for the shape and texture that they have. Well, you know, in your book, The Outdoor Room, you have so many gorgeous pictures for us to look at for inspiration. And you talk about the fact that you move from inspiration to interpretation. So how can we as do-it-yourselfers follow that same thought process? Um, you know, I'm always telling people to bring their, holi- bring their holiday back home. Um, and, you know, more times than not, you, you know, most of the places that you spend time in when you're, during your downtime are the places that you most covet when, you know, during the cooler months. So, you know, photograph anything that inspires you, bring it back, um, work out a way to create those spaces within your garden, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll start using your backyard in a more recreational fashion rather than just hanging the clothes out there, you know. Um, it, it's, it, it's really about kind of using spaces um, for, for some of the functions, the favorite functions that you have in the house, like what are your favorite rooms and what are your favorite colors in the house and start dragging some of those colors outside in the form of, you know, living, breathing plants. It, it could be colors on the wall. It could be, um, you know, rugs. It could be couch fabric. You know, all those colors can be extended outside and then the garden becomes a natural extension of your home and an extension of your your own personal taste. Yeah, and it really does make your house feel larger. And if you look out your windows into the backyard and it looks jarringly different than what you're living in, it feels disconnected, too. So I do love that idea of sort of letting it flow all the way out. Well, you know, I'm, I'm wondering about some of the best projects that we can do that will really add value to our home. Um, I, I, I think, you know, uh, security is obviously something that, that people, you know, think about a lot. And, um, and I, you know, I talked about starting at your fences and working your way back in. Um, that is certainly not just from a privacy point of view, but it's also about security. You know, so investing in, in, in some good, strong foliage on the boundaries, I think, is, a, is an excellent way forward. The other thing people don't think about a lot is garden lighting. You know, just a simple low-voltage garden lighting plan can extend the, the amount of hours that you enjoy your landscape into the night. So you end up with a 24-hour garden rather than just a 12-hour garden. And, and buyers look upon that, I think, as a, 
you know, as, as a, a, an attribute. I would uh, agree. In fact, if you do some nice outdoor lighting, make sure you've got a nighttime photograph with your house for sale if it's on the market, because I agree. I think a really beautiful yard with lighting at night is almost more magical and beautiful than it is in the daytime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's very ambient, you know. And, and people are very much into outdoor kitchens these days, you know, giant built-in outdoor barbecues that, that feel like they're actually a part of the garden rather than something that's just wheeled out in the spring, you know? I um, love that. But is that cost prohibitive for most people? I mean, are there some easy or less expensive ways that we can pull together an outdoor kitchen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, quite often um, I'll, I'll, I'll basically head down to, you know, discount department stores, buy, um, you know, simple $200 barbecues and drop them into, you know, uh, bench tops and existing garden spaces so it feels like it's a customized type arrangement, you know. Oh, that's and smart. Rather, rather than going out and spending the big bucks, you can make it look very expensive by just, you know, dropping these barbecues into large open bench tops. That is a really good idea because sometimes, you know, even though it is, it's an outdoor kitchen, you want to do it well, you want the quality, but sometimes all you really need is just something pretty to look at that works well, you know? So I love that idea of going for it on the on the cheap. Well, send us off today with a couple of mistakes and quick corrections that you see do-it-yourselfers do uh, in their own yards. Um, putting the right plant in the right place. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of people really do their research on, on where the plants should be in the garden. You know, do they accept shade? Um, how, ma- how many hours of sunlight does your garden get and orientate the plants in a, in a, in a way where they're going to get the available light that they need. Um, create an amphitheatre in the garden, so starting with the smaller foliage plants and then working your way up to larger foliage. That way every plant gets their own little ray of sunshine and not one is blocking the other. Um, and do your homework on the soils and make sure that your soils you know, are well-drained They've got good, reliable moisture and a good amount of organic matter and compost, and you'll never go wrong. Well, I'll tell you, if you're thinking about tweaking, redoing, overhauling your yard, you've got to look at Jamie Dury's The Outdoor Room. And I'm going to put all of Jamie's information on amystable.com, but you can also find him at jamiedury.com. Jamie, thank you so much. I'm so inspired. I'm going to go browsing those benches and see what I can do Uh about an outdoor kitchen. Yeah, fantastic, Amy. And, and we, actually, we've just got a new app, um, which is out, called Garden Design with Jamie Dury, and, uh, and it's on your iPhone app. You can download the whole thing. You punch in your zip code, and we'll tell you the perfect plant for your area all the way across the U.S. Oh, that's smart. I love that. In fact, I saw that on your site, so you've got to check out Jamie's new app. takes out all the guesswork. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jamie. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Amy. Have a great day. You're listening to Amy's Table. It's Amy's Table. A girl's guide to living. With Amy Tobin on Q102. Corn on the cob is a summer staple. Whether you like white corn, yellow corn, or the hybrid yellow and white corn, you'll find it in stores year-round. But corn on the cob is at its best in season, May through September. The minute it's picked, the sugars begin to convert to starch, and the corn begins to lose some of its natural sweetness. That means you want to buy the freshest corn available. Now, here's what to look for. The silks should be golden brown and fresh looking. The husks should be bright green and snug against the ear. You can peek at the kernels by pulling the husk back a bit. 
You should see nice, fat kernels in tightly spaced rows that come all the way up to the tip. Don't husk it until you're ready to cook it and cook the corn the same day you buy it. Now, if that's not possible, you can refrigerate it for a day or two. And how do you cook it? You can boil it or grill it. Grilling corn offers lots of options in the husk, in foil, or straight on the grill. You can season buttered corn with salt and pepper or get creative with chili powder, cumin, and lime. I like to glaze it with syrup, butter, garlic, hot sauce, and salt and pepper. Mm. Visit amy-tobin.com for the recipe for sweet and spicy grilled corn. Kristen here, reminding you not to do things. What I mean is, with same-day delivery for everything from gifts to groceries, you only have to do the things you want to do. To not do the other things, visit shipped.com. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com.